0: Like, look, the, the idea is very basic. Women cry a lot. Um, <laughs> a lot of the cancel culture is just women crying. Here are the videos. And people, men, videos. And women cry more than they do when men cry. If men come to you, you hurt my feelings. Like, you know, no, it's like nobody would nobody would tolerate that. An institution is not going to bend for the, those purposes.
1: Hello, hello, and welcome to the Ideas Sleep Furiously podcast, I'm Matt Archer. Well, this week we have Richard Hanania on the show, and uh, I have to say this is one of my favourite conversations so far on the podcast, I think Johnny feels the same. Uh, Richard, if you don't know, is president of the Centre for the Study of Partisanship and Ideology, otherwise known as the CSPI. And of course regular listeners will be aware that we've recently had a CSPI Fellow on the podcast. Uh, Eric Kaufman talking about two of the reports that he authored for the Centre. So today we talk with Richard about his work at the CSPI, uh, why he left academia to pursue this type of work, and some of his most uh, famous, or maybe we should say infamous, substack pieces, uh, most notably Women's Tears Win in the Marketplace of Ideas, uh, Woke Institutions is Just Civil Rights Law, and A Psychological Theory of the Culture War. Now before we start I should also say that here at Ideas Sleep Furiously we're trying to build something very similar to the CSPI, only less of a think tank, more of a heterodox media publication. We're trying to put out regular articles from highly intelligent, highly qualified guests who are often writing under pseudonyms, and we also publish interviews, for example an interview with Noam Chomsky on a topic that he doesn't really talk about or comment on much, uh, IQ, dysgenics as an existential risk so we're trying to also publish interesting interviews as well, in addition to these podcasts and the short films that we want to start uploading in the next 6-12 to 12 months. So if that's a project that you would like to help us with, then please head on over to Substack and consider becoming a paid supporter. It's just $5 a month or $50 a year, and for that you get a load of perks like exclusive articles, live streams, early access to the podcast, your name in the credits if you want it, and you gain access to the three special questions that we ask each guest at the end of the show. So what more could you want? If you would like to support us, head on over to IdeasSleepFuriously.substack.com. And remember, you can get this podcast on all the major podcasting platforms. But without further ado, I give you Richard Hanania. Okay, we're here with Richard Hanania. Richard, thank you for coming on.
0: Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here.
1: So I thought the first thing we could do is you could give a bit of your uh, intellectual background and your journey through uh, academia, out of academia, and uh, talk about the CSPI, why you set it up, what it is, where you want it to go, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Sure. Uh, so I, um, I have a law degree from the uh, University of Chicago. I graduated there in 2013. Um, I didn't want to be a lawyer, but I liked, you know, I liked ideas. So I thought maybe I want to go into academia. That's not something you can do right out of law school. Um, so I uh, went and I uh, uh, started studying political science at UCLA. Um, focus on international relations. Uh, So I graduated, uh, I got my PhD in 2018. Um, I spent two years at um, Columbia um, with a fellowship after, with a postdoc after that. Um, And, you know, at some point I realized that I didn't like academia. I mean, it's not as much as even the, um, the political stuff. It was more uh, a matter of, you know, you, they want you to have very narrow, specialized interests. Um, they want you to, uh, you know, just go through the formalities, the peer review, wait years to publish a paper, uh, make it as boring as possible, make it accessible to a lot of people, make it so that it's, you know, somehow acceptable and sort of the, the framework that, uh you know people uh, of the people you know the, the sort of the framework through which people already in the field see it so it was, it was too constraining i like you know having my own ideas and being eclectic taking something from evolutionary psychology taking something from economics taking something from a blog i read you can't do that in in, in academia right. you have to say oh i'm a political scientist so i'm gonna cite 40 50 political scientists even though they're all writing the same thing and none, none of it's that interesting or it, it doesn't matter um and so i uh yeah i was just talking to some people i uh i started cspi um on my way out um a- after columbia and the uh uh you know the idea was we'd bring people together we do sort of social science research that otherwise wouldn't uh, be getting done we would make it sort of accessible uh to the broader public we've done we've done a little bit um we've done a, a good deal of that we sort of uh shifted to being a little more policy focused because my sort of my my anti-academia uh sort of uh uh the, my sort of anti-academia sort of um, uh orientation just became sort of more extreme like you know it doesn't matter if it's not relevant if you're just doing things and you're putting them in a the journal and nobody's connecting them to policy or anything that's going on in the real world uh it sort of doesn't matter so we've done a lot of stuff that's very um you know that's very uh uh, rigorous, as rigorous as anything done in academia, uh, but then, you know, focused on a poor policy question. So one of the things I'm most proud of is Philippe Lemoine. Uh, he did a lot of things on COVID restrictions, did a lot of critique of the studies that were used uh, to justify them. Um, really good stuff. Uh, he, you know, really took apart some very popular papers. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I started, subs. I was sort of, you know, I, I was, even then I, like, you know, it's sort of not None of this is that planned, you know, that well planned in the, you know, from advance. Because like I was like, oh, but at CSPI we're just going to do sort of this academic work. But then I started tweeting and substacking, and that really took off. And I'm like, oh, I just, you know, I don't have to do like research all the time. I could just, you know, write my takes on politics mm-hmm. and society and whatever. And those that got a lot of attention. So I um, split my time between CSPI and pretty evenly between a uh, CSPI and the substack now. And uh, yeah, that's where I am.
2: I want to sort of challenge you Richard. So, I mean, I I only half believe this, but you know, you say the only thing you can do in academia is produce sort of dull work. It has to pass peer review. It's got to conform to the kinds of expectations of your peers. You, You have to worry about whether or not you're going to get tenure. So your colleagues, but you know, this is a bit of flattery, but I think it's true. One of your early papers, when you're still at Columbia, was pretty well received and pretty interesting. And that was why apologies don't work. So apologizing to the mob, I think that came out while you were still in academia, right?
0: Yeah, and that got a bit of attention. I'm honestly, I want to see it replicated. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know if it would survive yeah, okay. <laughs> a replication attempt. Yeah, I don't. I don't trust. Great. I don't even trust my own. My own Not mission. even yourself. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but um, you're 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 right. I mean, it is, but like it's like you know, it's like a you build, you know, you build like this little piece, and there's like all these walls or you add a little brick to a wall but then there's like all these walls and there's like so many interesting like little bricks in all of them and to me like you can't you can't be an academic who is inspired equally by political science and evolutionary psychology and economics You, you just can't do that i mean maybe you can at the end of your career you can sort of work something together but so much of your time is spent like putting it in the right format and getting the right citations and like trying to make it acceptable to other academics, um, that it's really you know it's just it's just I, I when I talk to young people who are intellectually curious, I usually recommend it against it. Now maybe philosophy, you know, Johnny, maybe your field. Is and I know you've done cross disciplinary work. Maybe it's more like okay, we're taking the very big picture and we're going to say what's important, what's truth, what's justice, and you could sort of use what you know, you know, whatever you get. You can't do that in political science. You know, you could say, oh, I think you know, I think elections should go this way rather than that way, or I think you know, some historical thing like international relations. Oh, I think, you know, uh, you know, there's yep. some point about what was the cause of the decline of war after World War II. Um, it's just, it's just uh, much harder to do. So it really depends on your field. I think maybe philosophy is more interesting. I think behavioral genetics. I mean, I think people are doing interesting thing
2: there, things there. That's true. And I mean, econ, they, econ seems to be a bit more expansive um, than a lot econ, of things so,
0: so Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Econ, you know, it has some, it has uh it has high standards, too, in the sense that, like, you can't That's just right. claim anything is causal. Like, in political yeah. science, you are just running regression and say things aren't yeah, causal. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, they yeah. tend not to do that at econ. But even econ, I think there's a lot of, you know, I, I think that there that we, we, we still could use more big picture thinkers. Like, we don't have, you know, Milton Friedman's anymore or people right. like, uh, you know, Hayek's just, like, taking, we do, we sort of do, we have like Paul Krugman and, and, you know, Stigler and stuff like that. But, you know, they, they, they tend to be, I think you could, you could probably do it even more easily from the, uh, from the left. But yeah, in general, I think I want more big picture. I want more uh, cross-disciplinary work. I want more taking, you know, the most important ideas and seeing these ideas, you know, they have applications beyond, you know, wherever they came from.
2: Yeah. The incentives to synthesize big ideas in academia are pretty non-existent. So yeah, that, that's a great point.
1: Richard, you actually. I was going to
2: spoke- ask you, actually, Matt, I don't know if you want to ask the first question or what do you think?
1: Well, I was just going to say, Richard, you, you spoke very eloquently about the um, the tradition in IR and how that's kind of morphed into, uh, away from like the Mersheimer school of telling these interesting stories into kind of like more like pretentious, wanky stuff there. Um, do, you, do you think it's possible to get back to that tradition? Because, for, okay, take this as an example. When um, Russia invaded Ukraine, Everybody was sharing that Mersheimer talk, right? And they were saying, "Look, there's no difference between Mersheimer and Chomsky." And you know, this it, it kind of like it had its moment in the sun. Do you think it's possible to recapture that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, is it possible to recapture that? Probably not within the academy because it's so, you know, it's so it, it's sort of set on this path. So in in IR. It's been taking over, taken over a lot by like you know statistical analysis and data, and the and the statistics, especially in international relations, I mean, is absolutely it, it's horrifying. It's like you know how many threats did the U.S. make to four countries in like 1995? And it's just like it's so arbitrary, it's so silly. And they put these like different uh, variables into a regression and something comes out, but it, it's just all based on. I mean, it's all based on nonsense um and you have these, and so you have these things where they're trying to be technical and the field really does not lend it doesn't lend itself to that especially international relations I'm you know, glad so. you
2: I'm glad you said that because I used to get students especially at Duke that majored in political science and also public policy so they take these IR classes and I taught game theory and applications of game theory and they would oversimplify everything right so uh what's a game of chicken well it's the Khrushchev chef kennedy standoff what's a what's a prisoner's dilemma two corporations, and it was the the most simplistic way of thinking not even reflecting on what goes into the models what behavioral assumptions we make about people how you might challenge those are we just self-interested are we also generous all the things that actually matter in getting the world right they just assumed away and 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 use these stupid toy games and it was actually incredibly annoying it's like formalism or scientism in the hayekian sense without genuine curiosity about what you're trying to model but
0: yeah that that's that that's that's right and you know mersheimer will say himself you know his he, he says my model is a simplification of reality but it's, it's a question of is it a is it a useful um mm, is, it, right. is it a useful model right, right. And, and they yeah. don't i mean they don't they don't even you know really ask that um the uh yeah the um uh, you know, so I I don't I don't know if we can get away from that. I mean, the the question is, can we? And you know, one of the best internet books that. Focus, uh, change, sort of how I Viewed in international relations. Um, uh, Stephen Pinker's *The Better Angels of Our Nature*, which is a lot of IR stuff, and just talks about sort of the broad sweep of history. and gives Pinker's, you know, a very intelligent take on it. And uh, you know that that I think I think was very uh, you know a great book. I think it I think it refuted a lot of common ideas and sort of um, how people see geopolitics. Uh, there's a guy named John Mueller at Ohio State who does this mm-hmm. too, um, who who sort of looks at the broad picture of. Uh, uh, I don't think he's at Ohio State anymore, but he looks sort of takes the broad picture perspective. Um, and so, yeah, there's not a lot of, I mean, it, it, even the attitudes of academ- academics, like there's, it's like sort of taboo. And, you know, they say this about like economics and philosophy that these fields are sort of too uh, masculine, like too, too argumentative. And we don't have that in political science. It's like if someone gets like, gets up in front of the class and their ideas could be wrong and they could be based on, you know, these uh, priors or these, uh, yeah. you know, these assumptions that don't make a lot of sense. It's like sort of taboo to say that's just, that's just wrong. That's just, this is yeah. just completely the wrong way to be looking at the issue yeah. and without that you don't you don't make any progress you don't make any intellectual progress okay at
2: all. Richard that's a good segue to the first that's a good segue to the first question I want to ask you which is about the uh, probably your most famous uh sub certainly up there and that is the women's tears essay the sort of idea that the Academy has become the HR department and the HR department is the way it is because it's dominated by women and, I, you know, I suppose this is controversial, maybe not in our circles, but more broadly, it is. Um, Noah's written about this. You've written about it. I know Amy has some thoughts on it. Bo and Corey just published something on it. So this is kind of like a big theme this year that as the Academy has become dominated by women, it's had certain effects. So I wanted to ask you what the effects are. Is it good or bad on balance? Like what's what's your basic thesis there?
0: Yeah, I mean it's yeah, I mean it's it's you know it's not as simple as you know they become uh the institutions become uh full of women because you know it's sort of there there are you know institutions that can sort of demand that women come on come in and sort of play on the same rules as men and you know on the right. same terms. You know i think that you know maybe maybe it's a matter of numbers maybe if women the number of women are small uh maybe that maybe uh that's that's easier to do you know that i say it's interesting it's my uh, it's you know the third most popular according to my Substack, okay. although it got um, the other two, they got a lot of attention from across the political spectrum, and a lot of my pieces do. This one, yeah. I you know on Twitter is pay attention, like nobody on the left, like you know, touched it. It's very interesting, <laughs> like not to even criticize yeah. it because like I think it was so irrefutable. I you know I don't think that there's <laughs> anything yeah. you could say about like look the the idea is very basic. Women cry a lot. Um, A lot of the cancel culture is just women crying. Here are the videos. And people, women cry more than they do when men cry. If men come to you, you hurt my feelings. Like, you know, no, it's like nobody would, nobody would tolerate that. An institution is not going to bend for those purposes. And so that's the basic idea. I don't think, I think it's very hard to argue with. Like any piece of that, that women cry more, or that we're more sympathetic, institutions are more likely to bend for those purposes. And you know, I have a few videos of like these cancel culture uh, uh, sort of you know events, like the Halloween costume at the mm-hmm. controversy at Yale, you know, six or Incredible seven years project. ago. And it's you know, it's it's all women. I mean, it, there's no men. I mean, there's no men in there. Maybe they're standing in the background. Maybe occasionally they, they say something, uh, but it's 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 all it's just women yelling at yelling at men. Um, and I I think this is worth talking about because like you want to make them self-conscious about sort of i think what's going on if you say this is all just this is all young people people will say oh the new generation is doing something different if you say this is just women um you know first of all men don't want to be don't men don't want to be sort of associated with a uh, you know explicitly feminine uh, behavior but mm-hmm. it's sort of you're you're sort of really highlighting an important male female difference um that is relevant for sort of what's going on and, you know, if you tell us, tell someone, you know, you're sort of acting like the stereotype of your group, I think that, you know, invokes better behavior. I think that makes people probably less likely to want to act that way.
1: This is so maybe, God, um, sorry, Johnny. On. No, no, go ahead go ahead, Matt. I'm, I'm just going to quote some of the, uh, the brilliant lines from the piece. So you say crying during a political debate should be just as stigmatized as throwing a punch as both make open discourse impossible. Um, and then you've also got this really interesting idea where you talk about the fact that conservatives—it's I, I, quite Freudian, it's very psychoanalytic. I love it. Like conservatives seem to have channeled this, um, th- these desires to, you know, I guess, uh, want to engage in that mas- t- typical masculine way into foreign policy. Could you talk a bit about that?
0: Yeah, I mean, so you will see this on the right. And I've seen this for like, you know, a while now is that there is, you know, this, you know, this is just sort of the way the coalitions are uh, in America. And it's, you know, the, the, the sort of the hawkish sort of, uh, there's a hawkish wing of, you know, the Republican Party, the American conservative movement, you know, as there is uh, in Britain. Um, and it's sort of like most americans i think most americans who vote republican or who are activists don't care all that much about foreign policy like they care about responding to terrorism or whatever and but they care about these cultural issues a lot and when you want to convince people that like to care about foreign policy, you will say, oh, the Muslim Brotherhood is like pushing some wokeness or political correctness. Um, or you will say, uh, you know, the Chinese Communist Party, um, you know, is pushing this this or that. You know, it's so funny because like if you look at America, I mean, it's, we're so culturally dominant. It's like, we're like brainwashing other countries. And the idea that like, you know, other countries are coming and brainwashing your own people is just like so ridiculous just because we're so, we're so culturally dominant. Um, and you're and it's like you know it's like it's it's harder to know what to do it's if it's women's tears and it's just women's crying and like all the like so much of this political correctness is like trying not to hurt their feelings it's like if you know if an enemy is doing if the chinese communist party is doing it or like you know some you know uh uh some censor some stalin like domestic figure is is trying to do this to you um you know you sort of know what to do you sort of know how to resist that um and I think, you know, there's a, there's a tendency for conservatives to, to do this. I not only blame a uh, sort of, uh, you know, f- foreign actors, but like to just exaggerate, I think the, the oppressiveness, like the, you know, the, hard, like the sort of a hard repression, like, oh, you know, we're all going to be, you know, gulags, the FBI is coming at you know, after us. I, I, I know conservatives who genuinely believed like, you know, that Biden was going to throw them all in jail. And I told mm-hmm. them that wouldn't happen. And they're, you know, they, 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 they don't stop to reconsider that. You know this did, this didn't happen um and so you know there's there i think there is sort of a you know there's there is a tendency to sort of look away uh from what's really happening and to and to look for an enemy that's easier to understand and easier to resist
1: you know one of the things i was going to say is uh it's it's interesting that um the conservative uh ideal society right for for most, I would say, American, British, Anglo-Conservatives, it's obviously uh, in tune with uh, a woman's desires to have children. And so I'll just use uh, my own example, my partner. Um, she's you know, insanely clever. She was going to do a PhD in neuroscience of aesthetics and then thought, actually, I don't want to work you know, 60, 70 hours, as you said, writing papers that nobody reads, you know, super niche, esoteric stuff. Um, for like a one-year rolling contract in the north of England that may or may not get renewed, and then most of it is like teaching hours anyway. Fuck that, right? And so you need more, I think uh, the, the Conservatives would say, right? You need more of that attitude. So these you know 130-plus IQ women don't go into the academy, but they do what they you know, probably will want to by the time they're 27, 28, 29, 30 anyway, which is have children, and that will make them happier, and that will make society better. And then you don't have this problem of these women in the academy anyway. But it's kind of to say that. Think
0: i think that's i think that's right i think that a lot of you know yes uh you know it's like there's a there's a Nietzsche quote you know everything about women is a riddle and it all has one solution that is pregnancy have you guys have you guys heard that
2: <laughs> yep it's, it's yeah beyond it's good horrible. and evil i think or maybe yeah, yeah
0: that's one story. of the optimisms yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so it's, um, and so it's like, yeah, you, you get, I mean, I think there is, you know, there is, uh, you know, there's only so much you could do with your life. But I think a lot of, you know, sort of women's biology is directed towards having children and having families and you've, you, you know, you sort of, you sort of rip that away from them. Um, and yeah, I mean, it has to be filled with something now, you know, I don't know. I, you know, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm skeptical. Like, I don't know if it's like, it's just like, there's these that, you know, all women have these natural urges and like modern societies, like telling them not to. I don't know. I think there's, you know, a lot of consistency in different societies and liberalism sure. sort of uh, women being independent. I think we've seen, you know, the same thing happen in country uh, after 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 country. Um, but I, I do think there is value in at least telling a story so the religious I mean the, if you talk about the right as you know everyone who's right-leaning there are religious communities and very smart women who are often who are Mormons or they're Orthodox Jews or they're Catholics they will find a husband and they will get married this is why when you see like uh, George Francis uh who recently wrote about this genetics talks about like education is correlated with low number of births among women well yeah I, I mean because that's like that's the opportunity cost it's like but you know we you don't have good data on IQ because there are a lot of probably a lot of smart women out there who have more. Or traditional instincts and who are not doing that so maybe the iq uh decline is, is not that bad although it's probably there's probably something to it um, but you know for 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 women you know for people who are not religious it's not like we can all, we can say like oh we should all become orthodox jews you know uh, us here. I mean, there's going to be a lot of people who are intelligent who don't find any religious worldview compelling. You can't sort of just tell people, you know, become a become a you know traditionalist because it's, you know, has, you know, uh, become a traditional, you know, Protestant or Catholic or something because it has um, good societal consequences or even good consequences for you. You have to, you have to believe it yourself. So yep. what people like us, I think, can do, what conservatives generally can give like a secular, uh, you know, a science evolutionarily based account of like what's going wrong with gender relations and that can potentially appeal to people to live in perhaps a different way.
2: Yeah. Apologies for the background noise, by the way, the background music, I'm on the equator here in Ecuador and there's a massive thunderstorm. So yeah. Oh yeah.
0: We're three, we're in three continents. This is a,
2: yeah, yeah. Marvel,
0: yes, we are a modern technology. Yeah. yeah. Hashtag
2: yeah. globalization. <laughs>
1: so, um, Johnny, do you want to move it on to, uh, perhaps intellectual diversity or
2: yeah, I was going to, we're going to kind of talk about the women's issue, women in the academy, and then also the academy more broadly. So yeah, I don't know. I know you've, I'm pretty hopeless about the future of the academy as well, at least in the humanities and social sciences. Um, I think you said in your, in your interview with Amy wax, maybe law and economics are worth fighting for. And I suppose that's because economics, well, it's not that bad yet it's still possible to save it. And law is just so important because of the legal consequences, because people end up being judges, um, they end up in in policymaking positions, maybe philosophy is gone, maybe literature is gone. Um, But otherwise you think, yeah, so in those other fields, people just walk away from the academy, I take it. But my question for you is why, and do you really think everyone can be as successful as you, or at least everyone worth hearing? Maybe the answer is yes, I don't know.
0: Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's sort of, uh, so, you know, I'll give you an example. So, uh, you know, I brought people together at, um, CSPI and one of the people I brought in, uh, was Zach Goldberg. Uh, who was a PhD uh, student at, uh, at Georgia State, and yep. now he works for the Manhattan Institute. I mean, he was poached by the by so, you know some conservative outlets. So he's not on his he's not doing his own Substack, but he you know he has a real job and he has more yep. p- prominence. And you know I, yep. know I don't think he cares if I tell you more money than probably he would make in uh, academia. Um, yep. You know the so there are you know opportunities out there. There's not tons. I mean, there's not like. Tons of it. So, like the foreign policy stuff, like before, you know, I was I, I skipped over in my sort of intellectual history. I did have a, a stint with Defense Priorities, which is like this anti interventionist uh, think tank in DC. So, I was doing a lot of reports for them. I did a little bit of work for Cato. So, depending on what your interests are, there are opportunities. I mean, succeed academia, you know, I denigrate it, but it does take intelligence. It takes a, it takes the ability to, um, it takes the ability to, you know, just get, get the stuff, you know, put the stuff together in a way that's like presentable, even though it's often gibberish. And, like just putting it together and like getting all yeah. the citations and like you know knowing what every scholar said and all this yeah. stuff. Um, and it, it, you have to be self-directed and like nobody's like there's no boss like breathing down your neck. You have to be able to do that. If you have those skills to succeed in academia, you have sort of the intellectual curiosity you have the self-directed uh work ethic um and you know academic like like succeeding in academia is actually it's very difficult i mean the, the job market is is not great um but if you can overcome those odds um yeah i think there are opportunities out there in the either in the sub stacking world or the or the think tanking world um i i've seen it i've seen it myself I, you know i think that you know not everyone has you know, not, maybe not, I don't, I don't know, like me, I'm always been comfortable sort of having sort of the broader perspective and trying to, uh, uh, bring these different thoughts in so maybe some people like the very narrow, like, you know, but, but I think those people, like, if they're like that, I think they're probably high conformity and they're probably liberals anyway. Um, I think yeah. the who are more sort of, uh, unusual in their politics or conservative are probably not gonna, are not gonna, not more inclined or less inclined to do that.
2: I can think of very few who have survived, um, of all my friends who are free thinkers, let's say. In the academy most have been fired or walked away and as we speak as as you both know our mutual friend or colleague nathan Kaufness is in a firestorm at cambridge and i thought it was over after a couple of days i thought he won the propaganda war and then today he sent me a link showing that there's basically an attempt to get the funder of his position to remove the funds so that cambridge even if he stays at cambridge he doesn't get paid and And there's basically just a list of people who are demanding that he immediately resign for a really moderately controversial paper. The paper topic was not, um, we have good or definitive reason to believe that, you know, there are group differences, but if, as some people have said, there are group differences, what would be the implications? Let's explore those. And for asking that hypothetical question, he's really under serious fire right now. He'll probably be gone from Cambridge if he keeps going the way it does.
0: If you're interested in uh, the race and IQ question, you're not going to make it Actually, you sort of have to be an academia because you're not there's nobody you know, you're, you could like find one rich guy who wants to fund you. Um, yeah. But it's it's actually it's actually um, there's not an audience for it. So you have to sort of you do even you are restricted, even if you go outside of academia, uh, in sure. sort of what people want to what institutions and what individuals want to support. Um, yeah. But yeah, as a general matter, I mean, I think what the uh what his story uh sort of demonstrates is that like you know you have a you have a boss and your boss is sort of you know the the institutions that are most susceptible to these kind of uh pressure campaigns you know it's really funny when people get mad at me on twitter sometimes they'll tag uh, cspi um, the yeah. twitter account and say you're you look at the it's just me it's, it's the account <laughs> yeah. is just me and like i log in with a different account and i'm like you know plus just like, kaufman yeah, we'll, and a few we'll people have, but yeah, yeah yeah we'll, we'll have <laughs> a talk with them yeah sure we'll, we'll call yeah, them into the great. office uh, you know what can they do to me they they, they you know they, there's nothing they can do um, and yeah, it's if yeah. you have if you're like associated with like a conservative sort of anti-woke institution it's going to be you know they could be pressured but not from not from the craziest people on the left they're not going to take that seriously um and so yeah i I think that's another reason not to be in academia
1: yeah so uh, let's talk a bit about um your interest in civil rights because uh you've you've written many pieces on this richard um i'm going to quote some of them back to you say civil rights law is the skeleton key of the left uh there's not enough discourse between the policy world and the intellectual world on topics related to wokeness um can you explain what you mean by this
0: uh so you know, in, in a lot of Western countries, um, they have, the, you know, they sort of these hate speech laws. Uh, more if you say something offensive to some minority group or homosexuals or, or whatever, um, you know, you'll actually be arrested, you'll be. You'll be fined or maybe jailed uh we don't have that in the united states we officially have a uh, a first amendment you could say you know whatever you want as far as you know denigrating groups or anything anything like that uh but we do have you know we do sort of have an indirect way that the government uh uh enact censorship and the legal system does too and that's through civil rights law so the civil rights act of 1964 uh that that was um that uh basically that discrimination based on race and hiring uh, in government uh programs and stuff like that that was transformed into the idea of disparate impact which is the idea that anything that has a disparate uh, impact on one group over the other if you give a standardized test uh that blacks don't do as well on, on it as white people do in theory you know if like asians do better than whites that could also be disparate it's never enforced that way yeah um,
2: selectively and, enforced.
0: Yep. Exactly. So, yeah, there's this disparate impact idea. You know, the anti-discrimination principle also has a, uh, a you know, a sort of a thing. It's sort of a, um, another branch of it is uh, harassment law. And so a lot of this you know sexual harassment is going overboard this you know being hypersensitive towards women these are also courts and bureaucrats bureaucrats interpreting uh civil rights law we also have a very strange thing which in government contracting and this is like this shocks people when i tell them this but if you're contracting with the federal government beyond a certain amount um, you have to have an affirmative action plan you have to count your employees by race and sex and you have to sort of set goals and type tables. now legally no quotas like all the documents say no quotas but goals Right, timetables. Well, you know, what is that? It would be better if they had. Quotas, you could be done with it, but it's, yeah. it's a very subjective, you know, it's a very subjective, uh, process. And so these, these, there's all these sort of levers. And this is no, no small thing. I mean, in the federal courts, something like, you know, historically, like in the last few decades, like 10 to 20% of all lawsuits were civil rights related in some way. So basically the American federal courts, a huge chunk of what they do is just enforce civil rights. All they're just, uh, today, uh, Elon Musk, there's this crazy, uh, civil rights lawyer woman, um, who's tweeting about like, oh, there better not have been, you know, Elon must just fired a bunch of people from twitter there but not better have been too many women or minorities yeah you know, she's gonna go count and then they're gonna you know potentially have a um, discrimination suit so california law is even worse than federal law so there could be uh some, some things there um and so this has downstream cultural effects and, and speech is not, I mean, speech is not predicted. I uh, usually law professor at UCLA uh, has written about this. Speech is like considered conduct. So if you to have a, you know, a, a, you want to have a business where people can freely discuss, you know, the causes of group differences or male-female differences that can be used against you um, in court um, to prove a hostile work environment or prove discrimination. Uh, so this is, you know, this is stuff that this is thought that's legally there. I mean, it's been ignored by the conservative movement for a very long time. Um, it's just uh, the wokeness issue has sort of penetrated, you know, sort of white leaning and centrist anti woke people. Um, uh, you know, the, the people have been thinking about these cultural issues, but there's been very, very little thought uh, to sort of the legal underpinnings of this whole regime. And so, Richard, that's have to bring forward.
2: Let me ask you this then. So, I don't really have an answer to it, but. You know, I can imagine probably many of our listeners, some of them would agree with, at least in principle, the Civil Rights Act, Um, this idea that, yeah, you shouldn't be allowed. Not everyone will agree. I know there's freedom of association people, but, um, you know, many will be tempted to say, yeah, you shouldn't be allowed to discriminate against someone simply because of their race, gender, whatever. Um, But then there are these downstream effects, and I'm going to grant that premise. I remember my, my mother and her friends were actually sued because they fired a black gay worker at the (laughs) veterans hospital where she worked. It was all white women who were like pathologically empathetic and altruistic. There's no way any of them were discriminating against this guy, but he was just lazy and he wanted to quit and he did. And he said, they discriminated against me because I was black and gay and he won a huge lawsuit. Now I would, I take it, you know, to take the opposite position of you, devil's advocate. That's not the intention of the law. That's just a, that's the way it turns out It happens to have been applied. So these downstream cultural effects are that way. I'll just grant you that. But do you think that it had to be that way in a way that it was almost inevitable that this would happen given this legislation? Or is it a contingent feature about like modern American society? Um, what, What do you think about that?
0: I think it's, I think it's contingent because we do have like anti-discrimination laws as far as like, uh, age related and I'm not, those have all kinds of weird distortions and stuff, but it it doesn't end up the same way. So if you. Uh, you know, if you go back to the original intent behind the Civil Rights Act and what they were saying in Congress, they were promising that it would, you know, there was a case out of Illinois at the time where uh, a a, um, a company was like sort of, uh, was gone after, uh, I think it was Motorola, because a black guy didn't do well enough on a test and he he tried to, uh, he tried to file a complaint with the state. And this was like an outrage. The New York Times is like, what's going on? And so they specifically wrote stuff into the Civil Rights Act to say, you can give Professionally administered tests. It was. Expl- I mean, there's explicit There's there's senators uh, saying stuff like, you know, even if you can set the standard whatever you want, even if everyone is white, you know, we don't care. You know, the problem was that you didn't get. You could have. You you when you have objective standards, you don't often don't have diversity. Um, and it sort of became. Uh, it sort of became results focused. It sort of became like you know whatever tools we yep. have uh, to have as many blacks as possible. Yeah, I mean, me, I would you know I prefer to have freedom of of association. Um, but you but you know there's a lot between sort of the original civil rights act and where we are now there's you know the idea of disparate impact you could at least you know no. it doesn't have to be int- like even like you know there's these technical questions like you know it had to be intentional that was sort of the idea behind the civil rights act you can't right. you know it's an oxymoron unintentional discrimination um right. i think it would have been to the people who uh, passed the, who uh, most of the people who voted for the uh, civil rights act there was also like an idea that like it was a crime you committed against an individual like so originally the thought was like okay this black guy you you discriminated against, okay, now you could have like class action lawsuits. Like if you do something like against black people as a collective, like people could sue you, right? Or women. So you have these things like, it's like, you know, the entire thing, it it could be like everyone who applied for a job or everyone who got a job. Uh, And so there's, you know, other things too, that like, um, you know, that are, this is sort of getting in the weeds, but like attorney's fees. So civil rights law is like, is like uh, the way it's worked out is it, it's the, the stack has been decked. The, the deck has been stacked. It's so stacked, like yeah. if you, if you win a civil rights lawsuit, uh, you get attorney's fees, you get the defendant to pay your lawyer's fees. That's not the American system. Usually every party pays their own attorney's fees um, no matter right. what. And so there's all these like little things that like, Congress or the courts have done to sort of make this into such a monster. And, you know, all the stuff was done through law and it could be undone the same way.
2: Yeah, there's there's an interesting phenomenon. Um, Bo Weingard had done a study about five, six years ago. He had a hard time getting it published. The empirics were really interesting. I ended up co-authoring it and getting it published in a philosophy journal where, you know, probably the peer reviewers don't even understand how to do statistics. So somehow we got it through, but it's called the egalitarian fallacy. That was the name of the paper. And what he showed. And it was really him that did the work, not me. Is that the further Americans locate themselves to the left, the more likely they are to automatically, through a heuristic, infer discrimination or wrongdoing from unequal outcomes. And so I thought those, were, you know, it's pretty straightforward. And you can make statements about race or you know Christians versus Muslims, whatever the um, protected classes or the perceived class that's like oppressed or whatever, whether or not it's real um people are more likely to say when disparities favor that class they're justified and there's no sort of deep cause or it's not discrimination and when they go against that group well of course it's because of the oppression of the other group and yeah it's just fascinating that that's a kind of psychological quirk and I wonder you know is that part of a personality trait that lends itself to both thinking that way and leftism is it completely contingent could it have been otherwise like you think of leftists a hundred years ago and as you know, many involved in like the eugenics movement were leftists or a lot of racists on the left. Um, I don't mean that as good or bad. I just mean, it's just like a fact, right? And so this sort of weird progressive position where disparities that go against certain groups are evidence of oppression, disparate impact, you know, civil rights, we're going to invoke that to sort of make amends, but it's only selectively applied. It's just, I, I yeah, I wonder like, is this just the direction it tends to go when you deny freedom of association or could it have gone just completely differently? And, you know, I guess I already asked that, but you know, yeah.
0: Yeah yeah I, I don't know i mean i don't know i mean it's such a weird idea i mean this idea that disparities are caused by uh, you know you could sort of look back yeah. to marxism and you could look back at bolshevism and sort of like the this you know the rich and the poor it was sort of you know an early version like the poor were the first you know protected class that uh, you know any disparity if you know the rich were doing better is because they cheated them or they did something right to them and maybe that maybe there was less of a focus on race and sex because this is sort of the the core of. You know leftism over the last hundred years it's looking at up it's finding a victim group it's saying you know but you know whatever it was just in a white society and all the you know men were working it was you know the rich white men were oppressing the poor white men and then when you got minorities and you got women and you got sexual minorities you could you could sort of take that same framework yeah i mean is there there's a you know there is something deep in human psychology and it seems like it could be turned to race or it could be turned
2: yeah uh, to, this to is like very, the leninist or bio leninist view i suppose right yeah you think it's like you know although i motivated mean
1: motivated social cognition all the way down for these things
0: yeah it's motivated but yeah you're right it's motivated cognition but you know for for what you know is, is the question motivated to yeah. think people well, like why why to think why to think this you know it's it's. Uh, yeah, it's and you know I don't know like how deep it is. Like sometimes when I hear conservatives now, it seems like when they and this was uh, my uh, article, psychological theory of the culture war. It seems like they have adopted sort of you know they, they're not as powerful as the left. They can't like you know enforce it in the yeah. law and stuff. But like the way they talk about the white working class sometimes, uh, the way they talk about liberals, oppressing, it doesn't rely on a lot of oh they looked out on us. Oh, you know we're uh, you know they're they they're cheating us uh, somehow. It's 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 less you know it's less that you know we're. uh uh you know, it's it's not even where, um, you know, they they have these you know jets and they're flying around and they're getting these special treatments. It's not the same. It's yeah. definitely not the same. Yeah, um, it's because Richard. it's not like yeah.
2: Yeah, no, yeah, I wanted to finish, but I wanted to ask you about that, that, that Substack article. So. Yeah,
0: I mean, but, you know, I do feel like it's sort of like a, uh, maybe it's like just a sort of a, a byproduct of modernity, at least in West European, you know. In, in what yeah, European
1: it could also societies. be, right, know, it's like the, the, the idea that, you know, you take something like, um, the nba right nobody's looking at the nba and being like why aren't there more jews right it's 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 fairly obvious right but there's kind of like when i say motivated social cognition all the way down what i mean is it's it's kind of like that is layered fundamentally on a kind of blank slatest view of the world and a world that a world view that is kind of um what you say like uh sports is obvious right there's there's no nuance needed there but the reason when you you look at the economy and like why aren't there more black oncologists right it must be due to systemic racism it's because the fundamental assumption the premises of you it's blank slate premise right that's where you start from and when you start from there you're obviously only going to end up as like path determinacy you're going to end up at
0: like and it's yeah it's not like they accept like genetics for sports either you know you know they just ignore i mean it's just mostly ignored i mean it really is people are good at just sort of uh compartmentalizing uh exactly this, uh, but yeah they're very yeah they're very uh attached to this blank slate idea and it, it's an idea mean, this is why you guys i mean are important and this is like such a evil idea and it's so wrong and it's like you know <laughs> it's, you can, and it's not like you know the, the one reason i would tell people not, not to like go to acad- academia and like do the hundredth you know behavioral genetic study showing this exact same thing it's like this stuff is like you know there's enough to say we know a lot and that nature is you know very very important uh, for individual and group outcomes. And that just, that needs to be got, get out there. That needs to be connected to these other nonsense, like, you know, civil rights law, these other ideas. Um, and, you know, that's what I think, that's where I think the, you know, the return uh, that to, to a smart person's, you know, sort of time and energy, I think that's where the return could be.
2: Speaking of that, uh, I want to get to the culture war issue again, since you mentioned it, but yeah, I've, I I want to get your thoughts on this. You and I have talked, you know, a little bit about this before, like privately, but you know, you would think that, you know, committed leftists would really be sincerely interested in figuring out what is the source of disparities? If it's a certain environmental factor, let's just figure out what that is. Education, parenting, it doesn't really matter. And then, okay, let's try to promote that. And if it's genetics, you know, I can imagine why 50 years ago, you might say, okay, once we've got the genetic cause, well, we might want to hide that the way Turkheimer tries to deliberately hide behavior genetics now. Um, you know he doesn't want to attribute genetics causes and that's because he thinks and you would have been justified in thinking 50 years ago we can't do anything about that but people like paige harden knows um that now in in the very near future you can genetically select i mean eventually you're going to be able to crisper your kids but certainly embryo selection and if you really cared you you know about the source of these disparities don't you think that they would be all out in favor of embryo selection? like, yeah, like what's that, going on? Right? That
0: ration, it's not that rational. I mean, it's just yeah. like I think it's like they see these disparities. It makes them angry. Yep. Um, it makes them sad, and they just sort of lash yeah. out and want to attack anyone who tells yeah, them. They don't, know, out of here. Yeah. If it's yeah. like if they were rational about this stuff, like, yeah, would be all kinds hey, of Richard.
1: Do you think anxiety? that's kind of like right. a um always a hidden suspicion i'm not saying necessarily on the behalf of someone like paige harden but um the you know average leftist not even wokest who if you bring this up in you know, polite discussion um they're assuming that you are you know adjacent to nazism right that this is why why else would you be doing it even if you kind of couch it in like you, you do the moral reframing yeah, thing of I like no it's... we should be compassionate because if we can take lead out of the water and you know get these massive gains who won't want to do it it's like
0: yeah i i think i think the blank slate ideology is sort of it, it's i i think we should not underestimate that they i think they really believe it and so it's like you yeah, know they're sh- you might think oh they're shutting us th- you know they're shutting people down because they're afraid of the truth it might be just like they just don't think it's, real. I mean, they just, they think like, why would you still say that when all of science and, you know, has, has led us to believe that, you know, everyone is exactly uh, the same. I, I do think these people really, I mean, I think that liberals are to a large extent, I saw this during Corona and I see this in a lot of different ways. They are sort of the, you know, the, just the very high conformist, you know, people, yeah, like exactly. if you tell them the science, anyone in the lab coat comes along or any institution comes that's along right. and tells them, you know, X, uh, they'll, they'll believe X. I mean, you saw it in the coronavirus, yeah. how quickly they would, you know. Know, just move on to, you know just whatever the party line was at any one moment they would they would take it you know regardless of what if it, it was consistent from what came before so yeah i don't think we should underestimate you know just how conformist these people are and but like what and what is, do you the
1: say then if, if that's if, if that's your view what do you say to people like john Jost who have basically made their? i mean he came on the podcast um about six months ago or so um and so if people don't yeah. know his big thing is um you know system justification theory and he's been i, I would say unfairly straw manned for uh um, Uh, making it out as if like conservatism is some type of social pathology he doesn't say that but like his view is that you know liberals he as you've quoted him right quoted him verbatim saying that it could just be that liberals are, you know, after 2000 years, why is it that liberals seem to converge on you know, all of these ideas? It's because they're closer to the truth in terms of like what is actually harmful and what is actually good. So, I mean, there are two points there. One, you know, he would say that it's actually conservatives who have this motivated social cognition and they want to justify the system and justify inequality and racism, blah, 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 blah. blah. Um, and then he would also say that liberals get yeah. closer to the truth because they use reason and rationality.
0: We have to, I mean, we have to, we have to beat them. I mean, I don't know like how, how to make John Joss, like if he doesn't beha- believe in behavioral genetics after all the evidence and thinks that, you know, everyone's the same and, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's what he believes, but like assuming like he thinks that, you know, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't know what to, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with him, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> I, think and- to, I think you have to reach people who are reachable and you have to sort of build laws and institutions that can, uh, uh, that could just, you know, do the right thing and not be pressured to these bad ideas.
2: I think the point that you made about compartmentalizing beliefs it can't be understated the importance of that i mean religious people do that too right i mean they see par- aspects of the world that violate what the bible quran whatever actually says the world is like and i mean they just ignore it right it's not it's not actually that hard, yeah. hard um you know and there's this phrase um you know blank latest uh, in the streets hereditary and between the sheets <laughs> there's there's nothing contradictory i mean well it is contradictory but there's nothing about that cluster of beliefs that makes your life go badly it actually makes your life go pretty well you don't lose your job if you don't try to square all of your private behavior and public performances together so it actually makes a lot of sense that there would be even extreme compartmentalization yeah
0: and you know a lot lot of people don't care a lot of people you could convince them of some politically incorrect truth and like they're not gonna they're like oh that's that's funny and interesting they're not gonna go you know stand up to somebody or try to do anything political or anything with it so that yeah that's part of it
2: too. yeah okay let me ask you a bit about this uh this piece which you mentioned earlier the the psychological um aspects of the culture war so here's a quote you said the american culture war is part of a global trend the german far right marches against COVID restrictions and immigration in france le pen wins the countryside and get countryside and gets crushed in urban centers Throughout the developed world, you see the same cleavages opening up with an educated urban elite that is more likely to support left-wing parties and an ex-urban and rural populace backlash that looks strikingly similar across different societies. So like what's going on there? Um, Is this this fundamental to democracy? Is it always going to be like this? Has it always been this way? Is there something about modern globalism and they can all sort of Connect over the internet and come to the same ideas—is that the worry? Like, what's going on here?
0: You know, it's it's such an important and interesting question. I mean, you know, so yes, you do see these these similarities. Um, you know, one possibility is just like we're maybe we're making a mistake and seeing that, like these as different cultures. There's really just one culture. I mean, there's one just global culture. And if elites in America think one way, I mean, people in you know, in, um, you know, know, in Japan and, you know, uh, Germany and Greece, the, the elites yes. are going to sort of follow American fashion and trends. And that those are going to have a similar uh, reaction. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't know. I think there are sort of, you know, there are sort of these. Um, like, I don't know why the dynamics would be the necessarily be the same everywhere. Why would it inspire like, you know, like, cause the, the normal people, like the, you know, the people who are the, like the, you know, the commoners, the proles, they're, they're not that plugged into global culture. They don't know what's going on abroad, you know, much at all, but they're all sort of always sort of reacting in the same way. Um, yeah. And you know my my idea is basically you have a you have a largely meritocratic uh, society. Um, you do have um, you do have uh, you know a decent connection between intelligence and all kinds of uh, life outcomes. You also have this blank slatist ideology. One of the things I argue is that it's a product of modern communications technology. I think that not blank slatist ideas they lose out in the marketplace of ideas because you know it's nicer to say everyone is the everyone is the same. Everyone has a chance. Um, if any group is suffering it's because you know something, even like uh, even like the leftist like uh, theories are like sort of social desirability bias because they don't even say white people are, and some people do, but like they don't say white people are like explicitly racist. They they say like these systems, it's like they don't they, they won't even blame anybody. It's like these systems are just white supremacy, yeah. I mean, maybe in the Institutional. past. Yeah. You can't. Yeah, they don't. They they don't even blame like individuals today. So even that is like a sort of social desirability uh, kind of kind of thing. Um, and so maybe this is you know. And so like you need, but then like the class differences are real, and people do need a way to differentiate themselves. And, you know, I think it's an underexplored topic. Like, why do you have like postmodern art? Like, you know, you could scientifically show this is garbage because you could look at like, you know, you could do studies where, you know, you, you could show people, uh, you know, an ape like throwing things and tell them it's a great artist. And they'll say, you know, it's a great artist, right? You you, you know, you could, you could, you could do, do this, you could do this stuff. I mean, I think that a lot of it's just sort of arbitrary and silly and not consistent with human nature. Um, and I think a lot of political ideas are like this too. Like, we don't need like, uh, you know, I don't think we, it's, you know, we need to, uh, uh much science or much uh uh you know much of the way of literature to know that the uh you know the gender theory is absolutely crazy and so yeah my theory is that you know people cannot say that they're smarter than others so all they could do is to be morally or aesthetically superior to others um and the the proles they are they are you know by definition you know they're sort of by definition lower iq but they are you know even dumb humans are very good at sort of reading social signals, and whether they're positive or or negative. And I think that they sort of, they pick up on the vibe. And I think that's what populism is. I think populism is enraged at this sort of. uh, And like some people, like my friend Eric Kaufman, will disagree. Like, no, no, I think it's really just immigration. It's really just these people have you know these deeper. And I don't think so. I think if Trump got up tomorrow and like hugged like every immigrant in the country, like I don't think it would matter at this point, just because it's so emotional. It's like yeah, it's like it's like a it's like you know it's it's like a symbol. Like I agree with you on this issue. Um, I'm one of you. I'm not one of them. Uh, Sure, but I think the roots of this are actually deeper. That's why countries with little immigration, sometimes you do see these uh, right-wing populist movements. Um, And sometimes the with a lot of immigration, you don't see, you don't see right-wing populist movement. Uh, So I I think that there's this, you know, this this sort of dynamic here. I I think that it's like, I think where it differs with a lot of other theories. It's not a materialist theory. It's not what they were fighting over resources, but it's not even like some people like Eric will say uh, it's not, it's definitely not material issues, but it is like, legitimate culture war culture cultural differences, particularly immigration. And I would say sort of, but I don't think it's even that either. I think it's just sort of, you know, I think it's just sort of status competition and sort of how we're dealing with this modern society with, you know, the uh, communications technology uh, with social desirability bias, with these, you know, class inequalities and people needing to distinguish themselves in some way.
2: Can I just follow up quickly on that? So you're mostly talking about status competition. I take it between elites and, um, but you describe ordinary people as kind of, well, you just mentioned proles, we could call them NPCs, whatever the same people who have a picture of Fauci with little angels halo. And, you know, they've also got a hashtag BLM and Ukraine flag. And, and that's no accident. Now I'm sure you've read Plato. You've, you know, you studied political science. He had nothing but contempt for democracy. Thought it was the the second worst possible political system, and it necessarily devolves into the worst system. And it does that because democracy is just a mask for oligarchy. So he just thinks that that's just always true of democracy. So why, if at all, do you have any faith in democracy? Do you think democracy is, I mean, is this a I mean, reasonable? I, a system? I
0: mean, I have a paper on this. I uh, not a yeah. paper, a Substack. Um, okay. I mean, if you look at China or Russia lately, I mean, China uh, is basically still hiding, in, in, you know, in its, in, you know, in its basement, the entire country over COVID, and COVID, Russia just yeah, launched yeah. a disastrous war that isolate. You know, it's going to uh, wreck their economy for generations, and yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> you know, democracy looks pretty good uh, relative to yeah, that. Yeah, so, um, I, don't know. The old- I, I I don't see any alternatives on the horizon. The old
2: Churchill, the old Churchill quote, still holds, I guess. But do you yeah. think, Richard, that the um, the
1: democracy is kind of
2: actually? Can I say yeah, something? But- actually, democracy might yeah. actually be
0: great because it's all super. Like you, you, this culture where it sucks up so much energy. Mm-hmm and like these stupid people fight with each other it like stops like society or government from like taking a vigorous role in like suppressing new technology right or things that like like, so the internet like you know silicon valley and all this stuff you know we didn't have a discussion about this like the embryo selection stuff that's happening we didn't have a societal session because we're we're going to fight about gay marriage and abortion and like fauci and like just these superficial things and maybe that's maybe that's the secret of democracy and plus like it, it sucks up all the stupid energy and then markets and uh culture and private institutions oh, and okay. just move yeah. forward how
1: much of, how yeah, much yeah, of that yeah. do you think okay. is orchestrated like the um you know chomsky manufacturing consent? notion
0: oh none of it none of it I, not that's just conspiracy yeah I, I don't buy any of that
1: did you buy that model though because the, the basic this, model would be great
0: and we great. as i just say this is great this is a case for democracy people are like it's stopping the government from like you know shutting down sort of progress and uh, and uh, uh you know uh you know sort of dynamism but i, I don't think anyone's planning any of this
2: so. um no no although richard on the Okay. I, should say, I I don't yeah. mean like you
1: know uh, people smoking cigars in dark rooms thinking you know what uh, mercedes-benz we're going to have the mercedes-benz pride logo but we won't do that in Saudi Arabia because of these reasons I mean it's just it's just I don't I mean that's not conspiratorial right it's just like obviously they played the game for the reasons that we know they play the game and that that does have the and so basically the question is if you're looking at like variants explained are they doing that? primarily as a uh, destruction or is it primarily to play the game and destruction destruction is a nice uh, ancillary benefit that, if we all do it it's kind of like
0: a... yeah i don't I, yeah I, I think it's too, i think it's too um yeah i don't think that it, well i mean there's a collective action problem yeah, yeah, here, yeah, right yeah. mercedes-benz uh putting out it, it doesn't make people you know it doesn't different term in the corporate tax rate if mercedes-benz puts this you know lgbt logo no i think that these people are run by highly educated uh people there's first of all they're they're you know they're they're subject to pressures civil rights law activists Mm -hmm. um the media the media is a big one uh, who cares about you being pro-lgbt and pro-black and and so on um and so it's partly it's partly self-interested that's like defensive self-interest like if you don't do that stuff like you're going to be sort of maybe it's even subject to lawsuits but like uh, you know the uh uh but like bad press coverage of nothing else and then these people they're you know they're they're full participants in the culture war they're just as slaves to it as you know sort of the polls who are reacting mm-hmm. to this stuff and so i think but richard
2: explain it. doesn't that undermine the point that you just made so on the one hand i was sort of nodding like oh that's that's an interesting insight okay people get caught up in the culture war meanwhile in the background markets actually work to promote human welfare because if there's like demand for something let's say just to use your example again embryo selection well, somebody's going to supply it. But wait a minute. You just mentioned this collective action problem. It may be that large numbers of people want something, but the corporations are incentivized not to provide it because they're going to have to deal with a bunch of backlash. And so in that way, the culture war can actually undermine progress in the same way that it can also distract and push progress. So, yeah. Sometimes
0: you're right. But the thing is, I don't think the culture war focuses on like the things that are necessarily gonna be the most important. It focuses on things that are sort of superficial and stupid. So like by accident, it might actually focus on like trying to stop a bad thing. But if it's random, if it's completely irrational and people are just having these sort of stupid things they're fighting over, then like, what's the odds that they're like, okay, does does it, I mean, if there's a gay pride group, right, like we care a lot about like a, like a, here's a big controversial one like a, a drag drag queen story. And this is the this is controversial. Like the right is like drag. You know, there's some kid, people take their kids to the library and there's some weirdo in a dress like reading them. I don't know how often this happens. I don't know if this is, this is not like I've never seen it like outside of the internet, right? It's not like everywhere. But like and then the left will like defend it to the death. You know, this is something that you know it's hate speech if you even criticize this. And so like that's what it, is it in the end? Is it is it the is the future of humanity going to be determined by this? No, right? But it ends up being the thing we argue about if that distracts us from arguing about, you know, something where the it could actually matter and prevent progress. In I'm way,
2: reminded then, but
0: here's
2: here's an example, Richard, and this was in the news just in the last two weeks, because one of our mutual friends or acquaintances, James Lee, wrote about it right for the Manhattan Institute, namely, basically because of wokeism and some of the ideology that we've talked about, not the transgender stuff, but whether it's group differences or individual differences that are due to genetics and not parenting, because there are such taboos against talking about these things. Now, Nature, Science, the most prestigious magazines, the universities and government agencies have actually prevented the use of genetic data, which should be a public good, right? They've they've prevented certain uses of that data to such an extent that people like James Lee, a kind of based behavioral geneticist at Minnesota, um wants to use this data to figure out some interesting things let's say some politically incorrect things he applies for it he's super prestigious and he can't get it and that's because of the culture war so i maybe that's an outlier but that's a challenge to to this view
0: yeah, it it is. You're 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 right, and I think I don't think that would legally hold up. I think if you fought, I think if you fought that, or hopefully if something's in the works
2: here, let's hope um, so. Yeah, exactly.
0: You you would win on that, but it's like you're right. You're right. It's sort of like the further you get away from, like you have this like circle, like mm-hmm. federal government, yep. um, you know, universities, like state institutions. And like, yes, it's more oppressive, you know, the closer you are to like the center of that circle. Um, But actually, the government's often is not as bad as university because you can just sue their government directly. And sometimes you can sometimes you can win while the university will have layers and layers of bureaucracy to sort of work what you're trying to do. Um, And you're right. But like there's all this. There's all this, the rest of the universe, right? So like for the giant uh, state database, yeah, you're you're right. It's going to trip up progress a bit because we're not going to have the research for James Lee to, you know, perhaps if he doesn't, if this doesn't change, Um, he's not going to have the research to find something uh, cool or interesting, but you know, there's so much going on you know outside of uh of the academy and not just in this field of you know genetics you, you know you know in, in, in everything i mean in you know like uh energy production i mean there's cool stuff yeah. happening mm-hmm. right now with us you know uh us with uh you know, uh, uh, with, uh, you know uh, uh solar power you know there's things uh, that are happening uh, finally people are moving on nuclear it's sort of a, a bipartisan uh uh thing you know there's um... the only good thing about
2: the ukraine war right it's put pressure <laughs> it's put a cost on these luxury beliefs of uh hey let's just move all toward wind right it's like no we can't do that it's really expensive uh, partly because of the war let's go Let, let's start talking about nuclear
0: again. people i mean and people are pessimistic because like we yeah. have slower growth in the 1960s like or, or so but like you know still to have growth consistently like every year for decade to decade we still have positive mm. growth it, it's still a yeah. good thing it, it indicates that society uh, is functioning um yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, this might be. I mean, I, I might want to write this case like you know, uh, I said democracies. This was the of Fukuyama, That was the title. Of Maybe I'll have like this idea of like why democracy. Like, uh, explain the mechanics. Like, it, people are just stupid, and they just sort of like bump not, their heads you know, on yeah, stupid yeah, things. Yeah. And then, like, yeah, like you know, we could we could go on with like you know, it's not like you know, it's, it, it's like if you have a dictatorship, right? They could just sort of. Uh, yeah, I think what what's what, what the Russian and the Chinese uh, things are uh, what they have in common, like the two big failures. I think that they, they were able to mobilize society in the service of some goal that the leaders had. So it's the Ukraine war in the case of Russia, and it's the um, it's zero COVID in the case of China um our government if they could mobilize us to some great you know it would be like close the black white achievement gap like that would be what they would do if they had the <laughs> power of like the chinese state but like they don't have that power so all they could do is you know they do a lawsuit here um, you know they they uh they they you know they ban research here they silence this person but it, it's not coordinated or strong enough to like destroy society and that's, and okay, that's at least, you know, we at least have that
2: Here's an idea for a sub for you then you could, the thesis is democracy is good because it distracts people from the things that matters, not in spite of it. It's actually yes, like it's a constant Exactly, claim. exactly. It's,
0: it's, like, it's like the inverse Chomsky.
2: Yeah. Like, you're right, it's Chomsky. Chomsky. It's, it's not all, the nobility of the people.
0: And that's, that, that makes it horrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. You know, one of the, um, so,
1: one of the things that I thought was uh, very interesting when you uh, wrote the article about uh, Iran and social conservatism. And I don't know if it was in this article, but you quote Scott Alexander. And you say, um, this, is, so this is Scott Alexander's, um, I think, review of a uh, biography on Erdogan or something like that. And he says, the important point... Yeah, that's why is, that's why is everything liberal. Yeah.
0: That's from the, the essay from last year. Uh, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. And
1: uh, he, yeah. the quote is, the important point is that elite government can govern with a light touch because everything naturally tends towards what they want, and they just need to shepherd it along. But popular slash anti-elite government has a strong tendency toward dictatorship because it won't get what it wants without crushing every normal organic process. Thus, the stereotype of the right-wing mm. strongman who gets busy with the crushing. And I was just wondering, like, this is this is interesting, right? Because um, you 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 also talk about the idea that um, you you. you <laughs> Liberalism is this natural outgrowth of, you know, as we know, globalization, blah, 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 it's kind of like this. You, you then get the social pathologies of liberalism, like low fertility rates and etc. And you seem to, I don't know if you're saying that um, really democracy is the only tool that the, the conservatives and maybe like the distant right have left now. And like Trump and maybe DeSantos are like murder weapons and we should embrace that. Is that, I don't know, is that too simplistic? <laughs>
0: uh i mean that's one idea you could have that you know something like trump you know could be a kind of way to over you know it's a you know it's a shelling point i think i think the populist strongman it is just a shelling point you, you don't yeah. left does the left doesn't need shelling points because it has an endless number of activists and you know these people in academia uh, who will sort of work towards these sort of ideas that inspire sure. them um and then conservatives you know they just don't have as much sort of energy or interest um uh in politics and so if, but if you can have just like okay Simple, like we're all just gonna listen to Trump. Like that's the guy who's just like we're gonna follow him and whatever, you know, he does, whatever he's perfect, whatever. That's like our tool and that's sort of that's where we all gather and only by gathering together we can have like this strength to do anything really. Um I you know, I think that, you know, a lot of conservative things can be done in the context of uh of you know democratic politics. I think the conservatives might have to, you know, temper their ambitions a bit. I don't think you can have like religious social conservatism i I think that you can't the government can't give you that um if society doesn't want it i don't think you can do anything about that um you know i I don't know if you could even uh you know i don't think you can like have like i don't think you could protect your culture i mean i think it's like i think it's impossible i mean i think you're going to have people who want to if the forward shows are like compelling or whatever people are gonna you know want to watch it you know there's uh pressure on like you know cross cross border movement elites like in the EU like you know the you know the, all the young people and everyone educated wanted to be able to travel uh freely in Europe um you know and and like and like and then like they win brexit mm-hmm. but then like they still open up immigration to like i don't know if you see this stuff but like immigration from, like the rest of the world is increasing it's like because you you because th- that's just the way the elites are going to be oriented like you can win yeah. uh but you know the elites are still the elites so they they sort of have a way of looking at the world um, you know, that being said, I do think you can, through normal politics, like go after like the worst things on the, on the left, the most oppressive things. I think you, you know, you can sort of create room for alternative, uh, communities. So yeah, it all depends on sort of what your goals are. I don't think there is, you know, I think that the, you know, I think the lesson of Trump and the lesson of sort of, I mean, it's like, but, you know, I, I shouldn't, you shouldn't get me wrong that, like. They're going to call like anything that's too conservative. They're going to call it fascism and non-democratic. So like you know whatever the next Republican president does, it'll it'll have that sort of label, right? Mm-hmm. So if you like defund the university or something, they'll say this is the new this is the new fascism. Yep. Um, but like I don't think you need like an objective it's, like something close to dictatorship or fascism. I think you could do you could do plenty just within the confines of of uh, democratic norms and institutions. But what do you think about like
1: society? So you yeah. picked Iran and you said look. Um, well, I'll let people read the piece. I, what I was going to put to you is there are societies like Russia and Poland, maybe, that hold up a lot better in terms of social conservatism. And it doesn't seem like there's um, you know anything like the same type of coercion that we've seen in well, Iran.
0: I mean, Poland, you know, is on a knife's edge. I mean, Poland banned abortion and um, and there was like millions and millions in the streets. So I, I don't think in the long run, I don't think Poland, I, I don't think it's going to hold on um russia
2: elections are really close actually it's not a massive
0: and like give it a generation and i don't think you know i don't think the you know the the conservatives are gonna probably hold on um and then uh you know and then like russia i mean yeah i mean with it's not a but it's like the, the cost of that the cost of like Closing off to the world, it has been very high in terms of just like not very good economic growth or disastrous, uh, you know, disastrous uh, results in foreign policy. You have something like Hungary, you look at these Eastern European countries often like they're socially conservative, yes, because they have no young people, all the young people fled West. So they're just basically retirement homes. And yes, they're more more conservative than, you know, Western Europe.
2: Not Um, Hungary, right? Isn't Hungary about the same as other European countries? Uh, um, Hungary, of-
0: I would be some, sub- I mean, it's poor and it's in the EU. So I would have, I would have yeah. suspected that a lot of people would have, a lot of people would have went to the, uh, uh let's look yeah. at the age pyramid. I can look up age pyramid of Hungary. Yeah. We got
2: to look that up. And I know birth rates, obviously they've attempted to lift them. It's been mildly successful at best, but yeah. So
0: let me look at age pyramid. I uh, let's look at, Fra- uh, France just as a comparison. So I'm looking at, uh, you can, uh, yeah, you can see France. It's got a little bit of a more bulge at the, at the bottom. Um, and it, it's also like, you know, it's like uh, which young people leave. I mean, I'm sure the young people who leave are probably more educated and capable than the ones uh, yep, stay yep. But some of these countries like Latvia or Estonia, like Hungary is maybe not that bad, but those countries, I mean, they're just, they're very
2: old. Yep, I mean, they will
0: And uh, Ukraine's exactly. been like
2: that for a while. You see all the smart it, young Ukrainians in Sweden and England and yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, and it's getting worse obviously with the probably with this the year, war. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, you know, can you hold on to like, I mean, you have in, in America. You do have. Uh, you do have conservative. You have an entire state, Utah, that looks different from every other state, and you can have that. Right. I mean, it's obviously within the you know the normal American system, but it's 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 it had to sort of happen organically. It had to happen. You know, um, it wasn't it wasn't a political project. It wasn't like somebody said, you know, we're just going to start Mormonism because we're going to have like a, a a base for conservatism in America. Right. It, it had to happen in an organic way. And the government, the best it could do was get out of the way. Um, so, you know, there's there's things you can do. But like, as far as like, cultural conservatism or nationalism is like a national project, I just think, you know, it's good if it's like, it's a way to st- stand up to the left, on like the bad things that the left does. Um, but the idea that you're going to have like this ambitious remaking of society, um, change the culture, because, you know, Trump is elected president again, or, or something, I, I don't think something like that is realistic.
2: So I want to ask you about that. This is the last question I have, and that's probably your most popular essay um, on why everything seems to move left in one way. You might see this as a an attempt to fill in justification for conquest. Second law, right? This idea that all institutions that aren't explicitly right wing in their orientation tend to move left. I actually think even the ones that are explicitly that way (laughs) tend to move left, at least in democracies. So do you see that as? something about broadly speaking leftism whatever that means globally or is this just a kind of commentary on like contemporary america in the last 20 years or something like that
0: what's the yeah, thesis
2: I, and how 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 well does it generalize
0: yeah i don't know if it you know i don't know how well it generalizes i mean we're in a we're in a part of history where the thing a lot of things look the same across country but they don't look the same like you know across time so you go back 30 years and, you know, the, ni- the culture of 1990s with, like, its indifference towards politics is, is, is something completely different from uh, today. Um, so... You know, I would, you know, I, I, you know, I would, I would say that this is, my theories mostly on this stuff is very contingent. I mean, like the technology changes so fast, like, you know, yeah, 15 yeah. years ago, there was the internet, but there was no Twitter. I mean, there was, there was uh, basically no, no, fa- no Facebook, um, or maybe it was just very early, um, you know, take like, take like our age now, like all the kids are getting from TikTok, like I, you know, barely ever used it that we don't even know like what kind of memes the, the next generation has. And, you know, we're, we're, we're not that old, you know, there's people much older that are confused by the internet, that are confused by email, that are confused right. by all this stuff Uh, yeah so this is part of i mean this is part of the argument against social conservatism too it's like it it changes too i mean these you know it's unpredictable uh society is moving in a pretty uh fast direction and you sort of have to you sort of have to become comfortable with that because i you know i just don't think there are there are that many uh other options
2: A bit of a yeah, highjacking about that, I guess. Yeah,
0: yeah and, and especially at that national, like you could you could try to form communities. You could so, say, you know, Orthodox Jews or Mormons or whatever, or the Amish are doing something cool. You could go off and try to do something like that. But like the idea that you're going to direct like the whole United States of America yeah. in like a different direction, I, I just don't think that's realistic. Yeah,
1: my dear. Yeah. So the note that I would like to end on is to, I guess, talk about um, wokeness and the metaphysical trappings of wokeness because you wrote, I can't remember which article it was, but you wrote that you never liked the claim that wokeness is analogous to religion. Uh, Wokeness is mostly just bad ideas. You do go on to say that you think the trans stuff is much closer to religion. And um, I I, I, I don't understand this at all. Sam Harris makes the same uh, statement. And to to me, it just doesn't scan. You have secular saints, George Floyd, you know, we, we can all name them, right? You have rituals and you do have faith. Right, you don't like. I, I know you You think this is maybe not the case, but you know, you don't have to push people that far. And I think you do note this in, in the piece before they just say you know systemic racism, right? You know these um, you know invisible forces. So how how is it not? And I mean, like we, we all know the line that the difference between a cult and religion is just the size. Call it a cult if you want, but the point is, I, I, to me, there is a a very clear map there. So why is it not a religion?
0: if your definition of religion you know is something like irrational things people believe without any evidence um then maybe yeah i i I don't think that's what's interesting that's not my definition of religion because i think what's interesting about religion is what it tells you about sort of the soul the afterlife man's place in the in the universe this is original sin like there is doctrine
2: yeah even the language policing the there's
0: doctrine but there's no you there's no universe like the universe doesn't Care about like America's race relations, right? It, it's 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 like almost like very like you know it says like you know in a, it's the American context. If you push these people a little bit, you know it's like they have like sci-fi sometimes, and like uh, the new Game of Thrones is a I, I watched a little bit of this. It's like you know they added diversity, and it's like you know like the black people sometimes push around the white people, and the white it's like there's no like you know re, re, it's like like a liberal could make that because there's no like. Eternal thing in white people's souls that makes them oppress black people's souls and makes people the victim. It's it's a it's an idea about you know the race relations is a, a, in America. The way they think about it is based on sort of American and Western uh, history. Um, so, yeah, I mean, what's interesting about a religion, like you could say communism is a religion, right? I mean, what's interesting about communism uh, versus, uh, you know, Catholicism is that communism tells you, you know, the, is that is uh, Catholicism tells you where the universe came from, um, how it's going to end, you know, like, uh, you know, the, the, the universe is not indifferent. I think this is, this is a very, I think, important distinction. Another thing about wokeness as religion is it gives it too much credit. Like, woke uh, religions have, usually they have staying power they've survived, they pass on from one generation to the next um and there's the same saints and the same symbols and and they form communities based on that. it's not like people just sitting online and you know putting on the thing on their uh uh you know it's like it's like slender man is that like a uh is that like a religion you know because a lot of people like it and they and they they might put it on their uh uh social media profile or something like no it's religion is a different thing i mean i think that the belief structure that goes into it the way it builds communities uh it's sort of lasting influence um, I think it's his own thing. And I don't think we, it's like a, it, it's like a rhetorical. I think it's like a rhetorical point. It's like, you guys are irrational. Therefore you're a religion. But I, I do think there's, it's good to distinguish the concept. Oh, yeah, I, what do you Trump think Trump. about
2: this though? Don't you think that at least some of the, the metaphysics, the meaning, the Manichaeanism, I didn't mean to do three. What about Martin like, there, so you like, like,
0: Trump, like Trump, like Trump's cultists are like, a religion? no,
2: no, 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 no hold on. Let me explain that. That rather than a religion, um, this set of beliefs that we might call wokeism hooks into the same kind of moral and political psychology that religion does. Mm. So in other words, it it whether it attempts to do this or not, because it's just an emergent order, I take it, it provides some of the same sources of satisfaction. Community, meaning, there's a metaphysics like we're slowly moving toward justice, but we're never quite there. And and that can all be bullshit, right? In fact, I think it is all bullshit, but it can still be real. It can still serve the same function as a religion, even if it's not a religion. What do you think about that?
0: I think that's right. When you say politics and religion often Tap into the same sort of psychological needs, I think is right. I I, I think one thing about wokeness, though, is that, and I have another. You know, this is another. You know, keep referencing my articles. Uh, there was yeah. one uh, about uh, wokeness as a paper tiger. Is it, it gives it a little bit too much credit because it doesn't do yeah. those things yeah. as well as religion. Like people do not go. Like people like missionaries in the heyday of Christianity would go to the far reaches of the world and like preach. Like nobody does that and like preaches gender theory, right? They they uh, they you know they they uh, uh, they you know. They, it's such cheap sort of virtue signaling and like, you know, yeah. the uh, there's not even uh, there's not even like, you know, there's not even like these people could send their kids to like inner city schools. They don't do that. Right. If they were re- if they were like, you look at Christians from, you know, yeah. real believing yeah. Christians from the Middle Ages. I mean, they would die for their beliefs. They, they would. You know, the, so it's like it's different, but it's also it's also just it's weaker than religion. And, right. you know, it's sort of like it's sort of like we should realize that, too. It's like it's sort of, uh, you know, it's different, but it's also like not as strong as people think and that's why we can push back against it
2: another point in your favor which i hadn't thought of before is that there's pretty good survey evidence in and outside of the u.s that religious people tend to be happier in the subjective sense at least yeah exactly right and the wokest are the opposite and your colleague eric kaufman documented Mm -hmm. this we just spoke with them you know most of the peep the unhappy blue-haired protesters you see on campus are women with literal disabilities mental disorders mm-hmm. they say they have these disorders mm-hmm. they're very unhappy people so in that sense you know maybe you're right yeah yeah i agree i'm, yeah. I'm right <laughs> 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 good, good <laughs> I, I hate to end on agreement but you know matt do you want to ask the, uh, yeah, the questions yeah. i know we end with some, yeah so we've yeah.
1: we've always got uh, three questions for our supporters and as always if you would like to hear our guest responses then you can become an ISF paid subscriber on Substack for just $5 a month but here's a little teaser for you uh what is your most controversial opinion now you can choose to answer this if you're brave <laughs> by telling us the truth or a
2: good segue. or you
1: can tell us yeah. your most controversial opinion within the Overton window it's up to you
0: within within the Overton window I, you know i it's you know it's let me tell you uh, how not to get cancelled
1: gain early access to our podcasts our three special questions and much more heterodox publications cannot survive without your support so if you enjoyed this conversation please join the isf community today well i this is one of my favorite conversations so thank you so much for uh, coming on richard
0: yeah likewise this was That's great, great. Thanks, man.